0: what's up everybody welcome back to in my non-expert opinion i am recording this live in a studio in la yes i'm still in la i'm loving it i could see myself settling down in la maybe san diego actually san diego i feel like san diego has all the good parts of la the sun the creativity the people the laid-backness but without all the pretentiousness so yeah just what are your thoughts san diego or la Um, Full transparency, while I am in a studio, the equipment is so complex, I couldn't figure out how to set it up, so I'm recording this in a voice memo. I really hope the audio turns out okay, and if it does, then this is a great sign to show you that you do not need fancy equipment or the best setup on earth to record a podcast, okay? You can do it with voice memo. So today, I just want to jump right into the topic that you see in the title, Stop putting people on pedestals. So some background story. I used to work in influencer marketing and content marketing for about six years in Chicago. I was a software salesperson. And what we did was actually house influencers in this software. So when a brand or an agency wanted to work with influencers, we had all these people already in our network, and then we would spit back a list to them. And then we would actually manage the campaign, too. I was around when influencers were blowing up, I saw trends, I saw the different platforms evolve, and because the platforms were always evolving, we had to keep up with it as salespeople to be able to pitch to brands and help them understand how influencers fit into their content strategy and their marketing plans. So I constantly had to learn about the social algorithms, paid ads, SEO, e-commerce, digital media, social media, I mean Everything you can think of that fell under the digital and social umbrella, I had to learn. Now, fast forward, I leave my job in 2019. I go to Australia on an eat, pray, love journey, worked a bunch of random jobs, and then started my own business. What was interesting is in the process of starting my own business, I got really into spirituality and intuitiveness and just how to make everything more magical, and I fell upon human design. And I quickly found out I was a 6'2 reflector. So if you're not familiar with human design, definitely go tune into a human design episode I've done, like one with Hannah Krerer, or go to any website like myhumandesign.com and you can learn more about it. It is a, in my opinion, very complex um, mode of understanding yourself. But I remember reading about reflectors and being like, oh, this is really interesting. And the reason I bring this up is because part of being a reflector is reflecting the health of the community back to them. And I used to not really understood what that meant until recently where I'm like, I feel like in a way you could say it's a reflector's duty to kind of report back on like the larger trends going on or like the way the cultural tides are shifting or what we see and what we feel going on. And while I think that's a lot of responsibility, I also kind of get it. And I feel like maybe this could be my influencer background. This could be my human design. This could just be being an observant and curious person. But I have found that since the start and rise of influencers, we've really started to put people on pedestals that we don't even know. And I've been finding it quite fascinating because I'm like, I totally understand, right? It's almost like human nature. It probably is human nature to see someone with a larger following or a blue check mark or talking about how much money they make and immediately make a snap judgment of they must be so much smarter than me, they must be so much funnier than me, cooler than me, richer than me, prettier than me, whatever than me you can think of. And we constantly put them above us. And I have found this whole concept fascinating because I'm like, I wonder where this stems from, you know, like, I can understand on social media how that's how those platforms were built. Like Instagram could just get rid of followers and following, right? It could just be something where you follow someone and we don't need to see the numbers. But Instagram clearly built that feature in so that we could see someone's quote unquote influence. Same thing with any other platform that shows followers and following. It's actually an unnecessary feature. The only reason it's really built is for advertising. So this is where my advertising hat will kick in is because these platforms are free, they need a way to make money, right? So nothing is actually free. The way they're making money is through our data and our consumption and how often and how much time we spend on these apps. So if you think about it from a brand, let's just pick any random brand, okay? And they want to advertise on Instagram. Well, they need some type of analytics and numbers and data to work with because they're not just going to put millions of dollars into something without having data, right? That's how advertising works. We need numbers. We need either qualitative data or quantitative data. And because Instagram is free, instead of charging us to pay to use the app, because they know we can just become addicted to it with all the new features and all the new rollouts and the way the whole thing was built to really capitalize on our dopamine, they had to create following and followers because that signifies if a brand wants to work with an influencer, then you can quickly see just by numbers, oh, they have a ton of followers. It's probably worth our investment. So from a branding and advertising perspective, the whole followers and follower following thing makes sense because it's a very quick way to judge if someone is, quote unquote, worth investing into. And then I personally was thinking about, I wonder why that is. Like, why don't we actually take the time to look at someone's engagement or comments? Which, by the way, a lot of brands do that now. But in the beginning, it wasn't. It was like, oh, great, she has 100,000 followers. We're going to work with her. But when we take time to look at someone's engagement, someone's following, and what the comments are, that to me weighs a lot more than their following. Because someone could have 100,000 followers and 100 comments on a post, but it could just be like fire emojis from a bunch of like random ass guys. And I'm like, that's not really converting to me. If I was a brand, I would not be like happy with that. And B, that doesn't really mean a lot. It takes no effort to write a fire emoji on someone's photo. But if you see that someone is taking the time to write a full comment, like, wow, I completely agree. I've gone through this myself. Or, oh my God, you just opened my eyes to this concept. I've never heard of this. Thank you so much for sharing. That type of qualitative data means a lot, in my opinion, more than than the other way around, where, okay, cool, we have a 100 comments. But again, they're all fire emojis. That's kind of means nothing to me. Now, I've been thinking about why numbers are such a, an indicator for us, like an indicator of success. And then if you actually zoom out, it's kind of how the whole world operates is on numbers equaling success. So for example, let's go all the way back to kindergarten. In kindergarten, you move up grades, if you're able to pass the curriculum, right? So you're already from a young age, moving up grades from grade one to grade two, grade two to grade three. And if you got held back, you know, if you got held back a grade, that was something that was, well, at least in my community really looked down upon, like, oh my god, she got held back, like, hmm, must not be that smart. So from a young age, we learn that you move up in grades, which are numbers. Then if you look at just say any like social setting in being in school, a lot of it is based on numbers too. It's, you know, the kickball team and you're last to be chosen out of a group of 20. And so our human behavior is to think, well, out of 20 people, if I'm chosen last, I must be like really bad and I must be... Really not worth anything of value to to this kickball team leader, right? And then if you keep moving up, everything has to do with numbers. Then, especially with women, we start weighing ourselves, we start measuring ourselves, we start um, really putting a lot of value on size, like what size our pants are, what size our bra size is. Everything just turns into numbers. And then you keep going, and it's like whether it's an actual number or something else, a measure of status, like prom queen, prom king honors student um, president's list like it never stops we're always just measured by numbers and and success titles and so when you take that idea and you apply it to social and digital media it's kind of the same thing like the success comes in how many followers you have or how many brand deals you get or if you have a blue check mark the blue check mark is almost like getting the honors list in whatever, high school or college. I don't even remember if honors list is in both. It's almost like showing you're like the gifted one, right? I don't know if you guys had this, but at my school, we had literally gifted classes. That name alone, being a gifted student, is a lot different uh, perception than someone that got held back, right? And because we're humans, our brains operate on what keeps us safe and is going to keep us alive. And so if you think about caveman days, The whole concept of like being included is really important because like really just think about this for a second. If you were in a tribe of cavemen and you got kicked out of the tribe or you left for whatever reason, you probably didn't have all the resources to be able to hunt and fish and gather berries and create a fire and walk and find water all by yourself. That was why tribes and communities were really important. Someone would be the hunter. Someone would be the fisher. Like everyone had a role. So now when we take that idea of cavemen and tribes and communities and bring it into the modern day on social media and digital media, it does start to feel like, oh my gosh, if I'm left out, I'm not going to survive socially, right? It's like that whole concept of being included. If I'm not let into this group of people online, I'm left out. If someone doesn't follow me back, I'm left out. And that's why I think we put a lot of weight on, you know, (laughs) the whole like follower to follower ratio. I never used to think about that. And I didn't realize that people actually looked at that to see, you know, how many people you follow versus how many people follow you. I, I truly, I don't know if I'm naive, or I was just like in lockdown in Germany and like wasn't paying attention. But this is a really big deal to some people. And a lot of people make judgments on that ratio. And so it goes back to the whole concept of, Oh, if if she's following more people than people follow her, hmm, that kind of signals, is she the one that gets left out a lot? Is she the not gifted one? Was she not on honors? Did she not win prom queen? And we give so much weight to these very extreme titles, right? Which also like don't mean anything. Okay, great. I was an honors student. Yes, I do think I'm really book smart, but I was also book smart because I have a good memory. So I would just memorize things and then regurgitate it onto a quiz and get 100%. But if you ask me right now what I learned in high school and college, I I really couldn't tell you much. (laughs) There's not a lot of concepts that I actually digested and comprehended because I wasn't really learning. I was memorizing things and regurgitating them. Now, full transparency, you guys know I love to be honest. I also took a lot of Adderall in college. And if you've never taken Adderall, it's basically like legal speed. And so I would take Adderall, study all night for a test, take the quiz in the morning, ace it, and completely forget the information. So again, like, let's zoom out. You could say, oh my gosh, she aced all her tests. She's so smart, which, look, I'm not downplaying my intellect. I do think I'm smart. (laughs) But what I'm saying too is, like, let's not put straight A student on such a pedestal. Because some people get straight A's from memory, Some people get straight A's from cheating. Some people get straight A's because they actually learned the material and studied for six months. Like there's so many ways to get to a certain outcome. And that's why I think when we look at influencer culture and people with large social followings, we kind of need to remember these variables, right? Like I just said, you could get an A on a test from cheating. You could get an A on a test from taking Adderall and memorizing everything and just, again, throwing it up all on the paper. Or you could ace a test because, uh, again, you studied. And who knows, there's probably other ways I'm not thinking of. So now let's switch to social influencers. You could get a large following because you bought followers. You could get a large following because you prioritize that and you put a lot of time into building some type of audience or community with people that follow you. And you were really engaged and you spent a lot of time. You could get to a large following because you had a huge appearance on a big podcast or a YouTube collaboration or a brand shouted you out and all of a sudden you blew up and went quote unquote viral. You could get a huge following because you have access to people that also have large followings that you've collaborated with. You could have a huge following because your parents are famous and you're their kid, right? So there's so many ways to get a huge following And my bigger point around this is we need to start looking at the context of everything. That is something I think is really missing. And I think this is due to just how these social platforms are built to keep our attention scrolling and swiping and tapping in in a very quick manner. We never have time to just zoom out and like pause and really reflect and think. But I think if you ask yourself like, hmm, how did this person get here? How long did it take? What resources do they have? What access to capital do they have? Where did they grow up? What is their education? What are their family connections? Who are their friends? Who are their siblings, right? Like These are all very, very big factors of why someone gets quote unquote famous or goes viral or blows up or has a blue check mark, whatever you want to call it. And the reason I bring this up is so you can develop a skill of being more discerning, because I think if you're more discerning, you would stop putting people on pedestals and making yourself feel bad. Because I think the problem with putting someone on a pedestal is you're now saying, oh my God, you're this God, you're untouchable, you are this like almighty figure, and little old me over here, who's gonna listen to me? Who's gonna tune into my podcast? Who's going to watch my YouTube video? Who's going to read my Substack or or subscribe to my email list? I'm just little old Chelsea over here from Satellite Beach, Florida, from a small town, right? You can see how we just start to feed ourselves these stories that make us small. And then we compare it to people that we really have no context for outside of what we see on Instagram. So I'll just use personal examples from my own life because I feel like that's easiest and I don't mind calling myself out. So recently... I've just been studying podcasters and how they interview and the guests they have on. And obviously, that's just interesting to me. And that's why I made it my career is I just find interviewing and hosting and talking to people really fascinating. So I've been watching a lot of Alex Cooper's video interviews. Now, say what you want about Call Her Daddy or Alex or the whatever the show. I think it's evolved to be a really cool show. But more importantly, I think Alex is a really great interviewer. I think she does a lot of research. She knows what she's talking about. She knows how to hold space. She doesn't constantly interrupt people and turn it back onto herself, which I appreciate. And so I've just been watching how she does things. And then I was looking at how she promotes her episodes because as a podcaster who also teaches podcasting, I basically have two different jobs right now. I'm being like a full-on strategist and consultant for my clients and serving them at multiple different capacities from one-on-one to VIP days, to Voxer, to workshops, to courses. And then I have a weekly podcast. So literally, those are almost two full-time jobs. So bringing it back to Alex, I'm like, how does she promote her content because she's a full time podcaster. And it seems like she does a lot of work. Now, I actually watched her talk on a Forbes panel. And she said she does tons of research, like she will spend days and hours researching her subject, coming up with questions. And then she is like meticulous about editing. She says she, sometimes she'll re record herself saying wow, because it didn't have enough enunciation in it, which I found fascinating, because she must do a really good job because it doesn't sound like that. Now, the reason I bring her up, again, is because I'm like, well, how does she promote? And I'm like, she just kind of like posts a graphic of the episode. And I don't even mean a, a really serious graphic. It's usually like a screenshot. And then maybe her team will make like one or two more professional graphics. I'm almost positive she edits the videos. And if not, it's not like these videos are out of control. Like, whoa, you know, Hollywood cinema level quality. They're just videos from her taping. And I heard she does actually set up all those videos herself. And then she just usually links to the podcast and she'll show up on stories with like a hoodie and no makeup and just be like, what's up? New episode. Check it out. Here's the link. And, you know, post some screenshots of what fans are saying. Fast forward, I'm like, it just seems like she doesn't have to do that much work to promote it. Like, how do I get to that level where it's just like, what up? Here's the episode. Here's the link. Here's a screenshot of my Apple podcast. Go tune in. And I was talking to my sister about it where I'm like, I would really love to get to that point. And my sister, who, by the way, is like nine years younger than me, had to point out, she's like, wait, what? Like, are you comparing yourself to Alex Cooper? And I'm like, "Mm, what do you like? No. And she's like, well, yeah, like you kind of are like, what are you talking about? Like, Alex is an exclusive Spotify podcaster. She has one of the most popular podcasts in the world, top ranked tons of money backing her up, professional equipment, brand sponsors, an entire team, the backing of her podcast before it was the solo episodes. So she already had that following. And then before that, she was on Barstool Sports, like Smoke Show of the Week. And obviously, if you're a Smoke Show of the Week, that will bring up your social following. And then she was on Boston College's soccer team, which again, if we go back to like collegiate sports, there's a lot of like hierarchy in that too and status. So yeah, it's like, wait, what? I I can't try and do the same thing Alex Cooper does when I don't have the same education. I don't have the same background. I don't have the same level of resources she has. I don't have the team. I don't live in LA. I don't have that zip code. I don't have a influencer manager. I don't have a talent agent. I have nothing. (laughs) Not nothing. Let me let me rephrase that. I have a really awesome team and really great softwares I use. But compared to that, right? I, I can't make a fair comparison. So my whole point of this example is I was putting her on this pedestal being like, wow, she's so above me. And here's the thing. I know sometimes this can sound a little bit, does Chelsea live in reality? It's like, yes, she is above me in terms of social stats, right? Like she has 100 times the followers. Her podcast is one of the biggest female-led podcasts in the world. She has probably millions of dollars per episode. So yes, like data-wise, statistically, of course she is quote-unquote bigger than me. And like I can accept that because I, I know all the steps she took to get there, right? She's committed to her podcast. She does weekly episodes. When her and Sophia were working together, they put out weekly content. They put all their dirty laundry on air. They had all their crazy-ass stories, right? So they were also taking a lot of risks with that podcast, which... Look, sometimes I take risks, but I'm definitely not out there talking about blowjobs, right? So I'm like, I cannot make this comparison of like, oh, apples to apples, or she's just a few steps ahead of me, or, you know, why is she ahead of me and she's younger and that's not fair and this and that. Instead, what I have to do is look at that as inspiration and what's possible for me. So here's like the key takeaway here is if you've been putting someone on pedestals and you're like, God, they're just so far ahead of me. That's never going to happen for me in my lifetime. I'm never going to see that type of success. Instead, try to reframe it as, wow, that's really cool that that's possible for me. I think it's really fucking cool that one of the highest paid female podcasters is younger than me and wears hoodies every day and gets to record in her own house, right? Like that to me, again, think what you want about her. I just think that trajectory is really cool to know that that is possible, And instead of thinking of, oh, that's not fair, this and that, that and the other thing, I'm looking at that as like one day, me and her are going to do a podcast swap. One day, I will be on that podcast. One day, she will come on my podcast. And I like to use the term one day because it doesn't add any urgency or pressure. I'm not saying in the next week, in the next month, the next year. This could be five years from now. Who knows? I could get to a point where her team is begging me to have her on my podcast. So that's why I like to use the term one day and think of her as my peer. I'm like, you know what? She's a human being. She has eyes like I do. She has a nose like I do. She has a mouth and teeth and ears and hair just like I do. Oh, she's talked about breakups and how they made her sad. So she experiences sadness and breakups too. Oh, she's had boy troubles just like I have. Oh, she has to eat and breathe just like I do. So I know this sounds like I'm making a joke, but I'm actually serious. I think a lot of times when we put people on pedestals, we turn them into these mythical creatures as if they somehow like don't have to deal with reality, as if they don't have to deal with, you know, DoorDash charging them $60 for a pepperoni pizza, as if they don't have to go to the doctor, as if they don't get UTIs, as if they don't have hangovers, as if they don't experience depression. Like, Yes, they do. Just because they have more money or live in a mansion or have more backing and funding does not mean that they're immune from the human experience. Now, I've been doing a lot of research around this topic because I'm like, there has to be people that have written about this in a much better way and more eloquently than I have. And I realized, oh my gosh, yes, I've actually read about this in this book that I, it's actually a workbook from a company called The School of Life. I will link it in the show notes. It's called The Calm Workbook. And so I was just in London walking around and I saw this calm workbook in a shop. This is probably like two months after my breakup. I was traveling alone. And I'm like, you know what? This looks like a cute workbook to feel calm. So I get it. And it was actually like not what I thought, but in kind of a good way. I thought it was going to be like very optimistic and happy and positive. And all of a sudden I was reading about melancholy and anger And basically, like just accepting life as it is. And I'm like, what is this? And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is actually a great way to explain things. So I pulled up their website and I actually found an article about melancholy, which they wrote about in the Calm Workbook. Okay. So I'm going to read part of it. And this actually does a much better job of explaining what I've been talking about. So here we go. Modern society tends to emphasize buoyancy and cheerfulness. it is impatient with melancholy states and wishes either to medicalize them or therefore solve them or deny their legitimacy altogether. Melancholy links pain with wisdom and beauty. It springs from a rightful awareness of the tragic structure of everyday life. We can, in melancholy states, understand without fury or sentimentality that no one truly understands anyone else and that loneliness is universal and that every life has its full measure of shame and sorrow. The melancholy know that many of the things we most want are in tragic conflict. To feel secure and yet to be free. To have money and yet not have to be beholden to others. To be in close-knit communities and yet not be stifled by the expectations and demands of society. To travel and explore the world and yet to put down deep roots. To fulfill the demands of our appetites for food, exploration, and sloth. And yet stay thin, sober, faithful, and fit. And here's my favorite line. The wisdom of the melancholy attitude, as opposed to the bitter or angry one, lies in the understanding that we have not been singled out, that our suffering belongs to humanity in general. Melancholy is redolent, with, I don't even know what that word means, by the way, <laughs> with an impersonal take on suffering. It is filled with pity for the human condition. So if you're like, um, Chelsea, whoa, that was a little depressing. I actually find that quite refreshing, that whole line, especially of we're not singled out suffering belongs to humanity in general. So this is why when you put people on pedestals, it's really harmful because you're creating a weird dynamic of hierarchy that no one asked you to create and you're dehumanizing them. You're saying, wow, you must not experience suffering. You must not feel guilt. You must not feel shame or sorrow because you have everything, huh? You have a team, you have money, you have resources, you have a glam squad, you have a studio, whatever the case is, right? And we completely miss the fact that they're a human being what i would challenge you to do in the name of practicing discernment is try to go find more context and evidence of why someone might be not in the best space that you think they are and i know this is a really weird exercise because it it almost sounds like i'm asking you to go be negative but i'm not i'm asking you to use your emotional intelligence and expand on why someone might not be doing as well as they think on instagram because that's that to me is a whole other conversation of like why we take Instagram as truth when we all know we do the same exact thing, right? Like there's been times in the last few months where I've cried myself to sleep about certain things, but I'm not going to show that on Instagram and I haven't showed that on Instagram. And so you would think, oh my God, Chelsea's been fine. She's glowing. She's happy. She's having fun in LA. And again, we take that as truth. So that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole Pandora's box that we'll do another episode on but I want you to practice discernment, kind of look at the wheel of life. And if you're not familiar with the wheel of life, it basically is this idea that our lives are made up of a bunch of different topics like spirituality, career, finances, relationships, friendships, family, et cetera. So if you're like, oh my God, that girl's just like, she's better than me. She's so above me. Try to like apply that wheel of life to her. Maybe she has more money and maybe she has more career success But maybe she's really struggling with personal friendships and relationships and hasn't had a boyfriend in 10 years and actually wishes she had a partner and a family. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe she has a family and she's doing so well and it looks like she's with the love of her life and she's like, wow, like she's just looking like an excellent mom. But she's dying to get back to her career. She wants to make her own money. She doesn't want to be a stay at home mom. And she misses her friends because she's always with her kids. And I, again, I want to just make sure here and make this really clear. I'm not asking you to go be negative. I'm just asking you to zoom out on people's lives and understand that everyone is going through something. So again, if you put them on a pedestal and make them seem like uh, they're totally above you, you're dehumanizing their human experience. Another thing you can do is simply ask people how they're doing and then find out, oh, that's actually not what I've been seeing online. And it's not to be like, ha, wow, that's not what I'm seeing online. It's for you to be like, oh, yeah, I forget. Everyone's a human. Everyone's going through their own shit. So this happens all the time, right, where I'll see friends living their absolute best lives on Instagram and then I'll check in and it's a totally different story. And it's like, oh, yeah, because of course, you're not going to plug that on Instagram. You're not going to like show your sad, dark, depressed, anxious moments. And sometimes when people do that, it can seem a bit performative and then it doesn't seem genuine. So that's why people are also scared to share those moments too. So it's like, yeah, sometimes you just genuinely have to ask people how they're doing and realize, yeah, again, everyone's going through something. The third thing you can do is actually just find evidence to show you how everyone is winging something or figuring it out. We are always experimenting. We are always testing. We are always finding our footing in one area of life. So maybe you're a master at nine things, but there's just this 10th thing and you cannot figure it out. That's like me and systems, right? Like I personally have figured out creativity. I have figured out podcasting. I have figured out so many things. I figured out interviewing. But there's just certain things that like with automation inside of systems, I'm like, "Mm, I don't really get it. Like I need someone to help me. So again, if you were looking at me as like, wow, Chelsea's this organized business owner and da da da. It's like, actually, no, I'm not. I hired someone to help me become better at it and to actually do that job because I'm not good at it. That's why I love having this podcast because I can add all this context and transparency and, by the way, nuance into what goes on in my life so that you never put me on a pedestal. If you have ever put me on a pedestal, please take me off of it because I'm a human being too. I mess up. I have days where I just want to quit my entire career and go back to a corporate job. I have days where I doubt myself. I have days where I'm like, do clients even like my work? Is this even worth putting out in the world? I, of course, I have those days and I have them quite often. And I've talked to other people who, again, are, quote unquote, big coaches, big authors, big influencers who also say the same. They're like, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like, I'm figuring it out, too. So my motto when I was getting into entrepreneurship and podcasting was like, everyone's experimenting, everyone's winging it, everyone is dealing with something behind the scenes. They're just not broadcasting it. And then I know this is the weirdest note ever to end on. This is probably the weirdest way I've ever wrapped up a conversation. But to explore the idea that there has to be something in everyone's life that they're either struggling with, sad about, or lying to themselves about. And again, I know this sounds like I'm being mean or negative or I'm not being positive or I'm trying to see bad in people. I actually think I'm being pretty realistic and logical about the human experience. So I'll use myself as an example again. I'm really struggling right now with like planning ahead in my business. And that often leads me to do things last minute. I'm also sad about certain relationships that have ended in my life. And I also am probably lying to myself about my abilities to be a strategist. And I actually think I'm better at it than I think. So if I use that framework for anyone that I put on a pedestal, I can usually find something mentally that I'm like, they have to be struggling with this or sad about it or lying. (laughs) Again, I know this is the weirdest way to end a podcast, but it helps me a lot. And I remember hearing, I think it was Ryan Holiday, the guy who runs the Daily Stoic. He was on the Skinny Confidential's podcast. This is probably three years ago. And they were asking him about this. And he's like, yeah, I just kind of think everyone's lying all the time. Like, that's why I don't like love celebrities. I don't put anyone on pedestals. I don't think highly of anyone because I just think everyone's lying. And I remember hearing that and I was like, oh, my God, that sounds a little bit edgy, but I get what he means. Like, we're all constantly putting our best foot forward and our favorite mask on and our favorite way to present ourselves and the most digestible, palatable, easy, breezy, pretty version of ourselves out there. Because, again, we don't want to be left out. We don't want to be excluded. We don't want to be outcast. So a lot of it just stems from survival. All right. So to recap, if you feel like you're putting people on pedestals, and that in turn is making you feel insecure, doubtful, small, questioning yourself, and you are just being held back from your own talent and creations and imagination. Try and do one of the following Remember that they're human, they have the same bodily functions that you do, the same body parts, the same operating systems. Like they are human, and they're not immune to life. Next is asking people straight up how they're doing, what's going on in their life. And being more discerning. And that leads to the third thing of just be more discerning in general. Remember the wheel of life and that not everyone is firing 10 out of 10 in the wheel of life at all times. And then the last one, which is, again, the weirdest advice that I've ever given, is remember that everyone is struggling, sad, or lying. And if you can remember those things and adopt that melancholy attitude, which again, I know just sounds ridiculous. But at least the concept of what that article said, that we're not being singled out, our suffering belongs to humanity in general, at least for me, I find a lot of peace in that knowing I'm not alone in my struggles. And that was a big part of doing this podcast is so you could hear a few of my struggles. You could hear how I kind of view the world and how I view other people and why I don't really put people on pedestals or think anyone is above me. So try one of these things out. Let me know what you think. Like, what are your thoughts? How do you stop putting people on pedestals? Or a better journal question is, why do you put people on pedestals? I think I could journal about that tonight. Why do I put anyone on a pedestal or think anyone is above me? And mostly, what am I making that mean about myself? This is actually something we're covering in the interview and hosting lab coming out on May 26th, the mindset that you need to go out and shoot your shot especially when it comes to interviewing. I have talked to so many people that are creators or podcasters and they have so many ideas, especially for interviews. And then they're just like, I'm not big enough. I don't think anyone is actually going to come on my podcast. I feel like I don't have enough experience to interview this person and it's going to look, it's going to make me look silly. And so that's why I developed Interview and Hosting Lab because we need to understand the mindset and the energy that goes into pitching people especially people that we think, again, are quote-unquote bigger than us. And we need to learn the actual skills of preparing for an interview. Because it is a skill. I think it is an art form. So understanding how to set the energetic space, how to prepare, how to conduct research, and then how to ultimately run your interview that makes your guests feel safe and seen and heard, and actually impressed and want to promote your work. Because there's this weird thing that happens in the podcast industry where people don't really share your episodes when they're live. But I promise you, when you can make a connection by having a genuine conversation with someone, AKA having a good interview, your world will change. You're gonna feel a confidence develop in yourself that you might not have even felt before. And you're all around just gonna be a better conversationalist. You'll expand your people skills, your social skills. I personally find that the better I am and the better I get at interviewing, the better conversations I have outside of podcasting. And I don't think that's by accident. So if you want to join this lab, it's going down on May 26th from 12 to Eastern time. It's going to be two hours long and super experiential. You're going to learn for about 20 to 30 minutes, and then you're going to take the rest of the time to practice interviewing. Yes, you are going to partner with someone. You're going to break out into rooms and you are going to run an interview on each other. Because I think the best way to learn is by taking action. So rather than fire hose you with information about interviewing, I think you're going to get a hell of a lot more value by actually doing the skill. And that's how you learn, right? By applying it. So, if you want to join us again, going down May 26th, I will plug the link in the show notes. And if you end up joining, DM me and let's celebrate because this is my absolute favorite thing to teach. And I truly think we're all storytellers. It's just refining our skill set a little bit. And I know you have that skill within you. You just probably need a bit of guidance and a space to practice in. So, I hope to see you inside. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Just a reminder, anyone who leaves a review this month, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win a Notion podcast launch plan. This thing has everything you need to launch a podcast. It has video tutorials, checklists, templates, you could have this document and launch a podcast in a week. And I'm not exaggerating. That's how simple the steps are. And that's how clear I laid this out. So again, all you have to do is leave a review, send it to info at ChelseaRife.com or at ChelseaRife on Instagram. And I will enter you into that giveaway and then pull it at the end of May. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will talk to you next week.